Hello, and welcome to Capital Compass. We are the official podcast of the New York State Catholic Conference. I'm your host, Jillian. Today, in episode 18, I'll be talking with Dennis Paust, Executive Director of the New York State Catholic Conference, about the end of the 2022 legislative session. I'm here with Dennis Paus, Executive Director of the New York State Catholic Conference, and we are talking about the end of the legislative session. Uh, so welcome, Dennis. Hi, Jillian. I'm used to doing the legislative minute, but it seems like we have more than a minute this time. Yeah, uh, this week we are kind of switching things up um, with the end of the 2022 legislative session. We thought it would be a good idea to fill in our listeners about what's been going on and kind of how everything really wrapped up, uh, especially with recent events with gun violence and abortion, we really wanted to update you guys um, so you really know what's been going on in New York. Well, yeah, and uh, those two things that you mentioned really kind of transformed the session. The session really kind of followed like some certain thematic elements, if you will, throughout the six months, as any session will. Um, and it usually starts off in the opening months with everyone sort of kind of feeling their way a little bit, and then the budget talks start, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. And then you kind of start zeroing in on what what are the issues that are going to arise. And really sadly, one of the issues that arose was the issue of gun violence. And, and, and uh, sadly, because obviously, as everyone knows, New York, Buffalo, New York, suffered a horrific shooting uh, in which 10 people were, were murdered for, by a racist uh, gunman, murdered uh, specifically uh, because he was looking to kill African-American people. It's as, it's as simple as that. A horrific, horrific crime. And then, of course, just 10 days later, even more horrific, uh, the slaughter of so many innocent little children in Uvalde, Texas, and two of their teachers, 19 children, uh, murdered, gunned down in cold blood for no reason by just really an evil madman. So the legislature and the governor focused on what New York could do. And to the governor's credit, she even before the Uvalde shooting, uh, after the Buffalo shooting, her hometown of Buffalo, she announced plans to uh, strengthen New York's already strong gun laws. And and we did get behind those. And and so that uh, that went through fairly easily. The the main elements of it were you know, raising the age of uh, purchasing a semi-automatic weapon and requiring licensure uh, for that. You have to have a license now uh, to own a semi-automatic weapon like you would for a, a, a pistol. Uh, it tightens our existing red flag laws. They're basically emergency orders that allow uh, someone who's deemed to be a danger to themselves or others to have their guns uh, taken away. And it enables now that with the updates, healthcare personnel could file those claims as well, and law enforcement are required to file such claims when they believe that there is a risk. Um, and there are some other parts of that package, too. They banned body armor. The Buffalo gunman was shot, actually, by a uh, security guard, but he was wearing body armor. And uh, he was uninjured and returned fire and, and killed the uh, security guard who was pr- trying to protect the customers. Micro-stamping of, of bullets to try and create a... Uh, uh, basically almost like a fingerprint and, and that sort of thing. We were happy uh, to support all of those things, gun safety, even gun control, whatever you want to call it. These are pro-life issues uh, for the church, and uh, the bishops were happy to get behind those, uh, and we were glad that they passed. 
And they were even uh, signed into law by the governor. That's right. She's already signed those bills, uh, wasting no time. Uh, and we're glad to see that. And I, and I really do wish, and the bishops as well wish, that that the federal government uh, would take a lead here. We're pleased that New York has done what it's done. But the bottom line is gun violence, gun trafficking, sale of guns. It's a national issue. It's pretty easy to go across a uh, state lines and, and purchase weapons. And, and we do have states that border us that have much weaker uh, gun control laws. And, you know, Texas has virtually no gun control. Uh, and, you know, we, we saw what happened there. It's really a, a national problem. It's I know it's infuriating to many people the, that uh, we can't seem to get behind it. The bishops have long supported assault weapon bans. Uh, they've long supported uh, any number of other gun control measures to try and get the uh, society's arms wrapped around this really terrible problem. No child should ever be fearful of going to school and, and being shot in their classroom. But let's face it, that's exactly what children feel. I have children, and I know uh, that there's fear and anxiety uh, as a result of these shootings after shootings after shootings. To move ahead on what's been going on in legislative session, as of today, while we're recording this, June 7th, there has not been a release of the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs versus Jackson, but New York State has kind of, uh, I wouldn't say proactively because it's against our values, <laughs> but they have preemptively, I guess, um, yeah. put tried to put in some bills that will protect abortion. Yeah, well, they did, this, they did pass a series of bills. Unfortunately, in New York, uh, New York... Uh, did the Reproductive Health Act in 2019, which which was really, at the time, the most radical abortion bill in the country. And there wasn't much left for them to do. And these bills, uh, which we strongly opposed, they, they in practice, they don't really do a lot. They're, it's main, they're mainly an attempt to create, they would call it safe haven uh, or uh, sanctuary for uh, women who come from out of state for abortions and medical uh, and doctors who who provide abortions to women who come from out of state, but the reality is it's not illegal in New York for a you know it doesn't matter where the person comes from abortion is legal so they're they're sort of kind of phony bills they don't really do a whole lot no doctor is going to be charged with performing an abortion in New York State anyway no matter who he performs it on and out of state. Of prosecutors can't file charges against a New York doctor, so it's all a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say silly because that, uh, sim- you know, that it's a serious issue. But it at the same time, uh, it it doesn't uh, really do a lot because unfortunately, New York has done as much as it could. But there there was a movement to pass a constitutional amendment to try and strain to to put the right to abortion right into the state constitution which would really make it almost impossible to ever change not that it would that would have to pass two successive legislatures separately elected legislatures and then go to a popular referendum they couldn't agree on language and it all fell apart because there was a uh, a lack of res- uh, mention of religion or creed among protected classes and so it was seen by us uh, and by our Jewish colleagues and others as really making uh, religion sort of a second-class right and potentially forcing religious organizations to do things against their values. Hospitals, Catholic hospitals to perform abortions, Catholic uh, doctors and nurses who oppose abortion uh, 
it also got into issues of, of, of gender ideology, gender expression, and how would that impact our schools. So there was a lot of opposition from religious groups who rightly say, look, you know, religion is, 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 one, of the, is the, one of the prime uh, protected classes in our U.S. Constitution, and it ought to be that way for the state as well. And, and we're really pleased that that failed. That would have been the most impactful of the abortion uh, legislation that was out there, and that did fail. So we're pleased about that. One other um, bill I wanted to mention was the pro-life pregnancy centers. Um, can you explain a little bit to our listeners kind of what it is? And then also, we have actually called on Governor Hochul to veto this bill. So can you kind of uh, let them know on what's going on with that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, and I don't want to forget because I don't want to forget that one because this is a bill we've opposed for years. What it does is it authorizes a study and normally, like when you see a study bill in Albany, it's usually sort of a nothing bill. But in this case, you could tell by the wording of the bill, it's really designed to harass these pro-life pregnancy centers that offer alternatives to women who don't want to go to Planned Parenthood for an abortion, right? They want to get other options. Sometimes they give ultrasounds if the woman wants it. Sometimes they'll give a pregnancy test. They'll give counseling and services. They'll, they'll provide things like diapers and baby formula, prenatal vitamins, whatever people need, they're usually run on shoestring budgets, often by volunteers who just want to help. And this study sort of authorizes the Department of Health to uh, almost harass them with, with, with all of this documentation that they have to provide. And the bill refers to them as limited service providers, which just betrays right there what the real goal is. Because they don't provide abortion, they're seen as suspicious by the state. And what we said to the governor in our letter asking her to veto, this does nothing to uh, go against her goal of, quote unquote, safeguarding the right to abortion or access to abortion. It's got nothing to do with abortion. It's to help women who want options. The other side always talks about choice, pro-choice. Well, pro-choice is meaningless if there's no other choice uh, as far as the state is concerned but abortion. So we have requested a veto, obviously not overly optimistic about that. Uh, the governor uh, has made clear that she's uh, strongly pro-abortion, but we're trying to get her to see that this does nothing to, um, to build up abortion in the state. All it does is harass good people doing good work. Yeah, we really want people to know that there are alternatives to abortion. We actually uh, recently did an episode with the Diocese of Buffalo, ironically enough, the governor's hometown. Yeah. Right. And, and, and uh, we talked to Cheryl Cleary in Buffalo about her great work. And, and there's good work being done all over the state. And obviously, uh, uh, we've a recently developed web page that you yourself built <laughs> uh, on our homepage. And you can get there just by going to nyscatholic.org. And, and there's a slider right there on the home screen, but it's nyscatholic.org slash help for moms. And that really, no matter where you live in the state, you'll be able to find resources if you are a woman uh, who is pregnant and in need of any kind of services, uh, health care, uh, housing, uh, prenatal care, whatever it is. Uh, and if you've had an abortion and you regret it, there's, there's services for you as well. So you could move on with your life and, and, and begin to heal. So I encourage anyone who's in that position or know someone who is to go to that website because there's a lot there for people. Now, uh, segueing into more of the kind of criminal justice and protecting children mm -hmm. realm, uh, the big thing for us has been the Clean Slate Act. 
which would automatically seal most criminal convictions, misdemeanors, and felonies after a period of time. Uh, obviously, we've strongly opposed that because it affects our ability to do background checks on employees and volunteers. Uh, so can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that one? Sure. Well, we actually w- would support, in theory, the concept of sealing over time criminal convictions for people who have stayed out of trouble, served their time, you know, stayed out of trouble for a certain number of years. That's not a bad idea. People deserve a second chance. We're all about second chances. Uh People deserve a second chance, the ability to get a job, ability to, to, to get housing, uh, basic things that are hard sometimes for, for convicted, uh, former, uh, formerly incarcerated people to get. The problem, as you note, is our ability, our ability as uh, a church in our ministries to get access to background checks, because there are some crimes where that sort of forever render someone sort of ineligible to work with children, let's say, or or at least they should be, right? If you've committed crimes against children, if you've committed crimes in schools uh, or around schools, things like that, and we need access to that information. You know, we learned a lot of hard lessons uh, in the sexual abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. Obviously, we failed grievously in the past in protecting children over and over again uh, in our history, especially in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s. But in recent decades, we have become a leader in protecting children. And one of the things we do uh, to make sure that stays that way is to background check every employee or volunteer that comes into contact with children on on a regular basis. Uh, If you ever want to volunteer in your parish, you have to go through Virtus training. You have to submit to background checks. This would not allow those background checks to pick up convictions that might render someone... uh, ineligible to work with children in our ministries. So it does allow uh, fingerprint-based background checks, for instance, public school teachers, uh, uh, jobs like that where you're required to be fingerprint uh, background checked. Those employers can get the uh, information, but we wouldn't be able to. So it sort of creates this like dichotomy of like some people could get the information to protect children and some can't. We'd love to support the Clean Slate Act, and we have presented language that would, we think, address the problem that would allow religious and, uh, and secular not-for-profits in a very limited set of circumstances to get those conviction records uh, for crimes that might involve uh, making someone uh, just ineligible to work with children. So we were, so fortunately, while the Senate passed that bill, the Assembly did not. So that was uh, definitely a, a win there. We would like to see that resolved in a way that we could support it in the next session, though. So moving on, uh, more about children. Uh, We had actually a pretty good legislative session for funding, I would say. Yep. Yeah. And our state budget, uh, we did really well uh, in terms of our Catholic schools uh, in the state budget this year. There was fortunately money to be spent in the budget. Revenues were up more than expected. Uh, There was also a lot of federal money floating around from COVID relief. Um, and so in Governor Hochul's first budget, she was able to do a lot of things. But one of, the, one of the things we're grateful for in that was additional funding provided for our Catholic schools in a couple of areas in particular. Uh, one, there's an existing state program for, uh, that provides uh, grants to Catholic and other non-public schools for health, safety, and security needs. That was expanded to also include critical capital needs uh, that, re- that involve student safety, things like new roofs or boilers or air purification systems, things like that. 
So in that existing grant program that she expanded uh, uh, the eligibility for, she also tripled the funding from $15 million to $45 million. Sounds like a lot of money. It uh, doesn't begin to meet the need, but it's a great start, and we're very grateful for it. And we hope to build on that in the future and work with the governor and legislators to enhance that program because it's in everyone's interest that, A, our children be safe in their schools, uh, obviously, and B, that our Catholic schools are able to survive because the public schools simply cannot absorb the, the, the Catholic school population of the state or, or, or other religious and independent schools. And in another area, in um, the state does reimburse uh, some of our schools for STEM instruction, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics instruction. And that was increased by 40% as well to a $58 million program. So a lot of our high schools in particular where there are dedicated STEM teachers uh, benefited from that uh, and, will con- and will now benefit even more with the additional funding for those faculty members. And that really helps the bottom line of our schools, which are always working on a, on a very thin margin. You know, we don't get, uh, we can't raise taxes like a public school district can, right? We don't get state funding uh, for our education programs. So we rely on tuition. So this particular kind of grant program is very helpful in helping keep the tuition a little bit lower, make it a little more possible for parents. Ultimately, what's going to solve the Catholic school crisis would be true school choice, right? A tax credit or a voucher or something like that. But right now, there's just not the political dynamic in Albany that would allow us to do what so many other states have done. And that's the true difference maker. Uh, And if legislators really wanted to save our schools, they would look at those kinds of solutions. And I think one of the other big things was the substantial equivalency. So can you kind of break that down a little bit? Yeah, right. So this, thanks for bringing that up as well. So the state uh, education department, uh, they're responsible for all education in the state, not just public education, but they're also real responsible for uh, making sure that children are being educated and that non-public schools offer at least uh, uh, an education that's substantially equivalent to non-public schools, I'm sorry, to public schools. And now, we, you know, as we all know, Catholic schools around the state are at least equivalent and, and often uh, better in terms of the education they provide than public schools. But the problem was the regulations uh, that, draft regulations that were put out were going to allow local public school districts to determine if a religious or independent school was substantially equivalent. This created all sorts of problems in terms of, well, it creates possible conflicts of interest, obviously, in the public schools, but it also uh, impacts our independence. Parents send their kids to our schools because they're not public schools. They don't need public schools to to make a judgment about the education that we're providing. So we've worked hard over the years and uh, We've always acknowledged, you know, our schools are equivalent, and we're happy to demonstrate that. The question was going to be how. And with the current version of regulations, it's a process where basically if you're accredited uh, by an uh, an accrediting institution, if you provide state assessments like all of our schools do, you're automatically considered to be substantially equivalent. So all of our schools under the new regulations would be – uh, deemed substantially equivalent in education. There are a few minor wrinkles to work out, but we think we're, uh, we're just about there in terms of the language of those regulations. The commissioner has been very open to our suggestions. 
Uh, we're great, very grateful for uh, Commissioner Rosa for listening to those concerns, for the staff of the Education Department, and we're very close, and we expect those regulations to be adopted either later this summer or this fall. So these are just a few of the things uh, we kind of highlighted that are of interest to the New York State Catholic Conference. If you'd like more background on the legislation of interest, you can visit our website, nyscatholic.org. And specifically, if you want to read our end of session roundup, it's nyscatholic.org slash 2022-end-of-session-round-up. Thank you so much for supporting the New York State Catholic Conference. Uh, And thank you so much, Dennis. Now, we are actually on an election year, so it will make things kind of interesting next year, right? Uh, Yeah. And it was uh, was certainly uh, we'll have a new legislature. Uh, A number of uh, incumbents are retiring. But in addition, there's been uh, the 10-year redistricting process. And that was a whole other story. And you could do a whole episode on on that fiasco because what happened was uh, the congressional lines and the state Senate lines uh, were thrown out. They they were um, uh, because they were found to have been gerrymandered by the Democratic majority in the legislature uh, to the point where they were unconstitutional. So uh, we end up with now uh, a bifurcated primary where the statewide elected officials like the governor and attorney general, as well as the state assembly, will have their primary in June. But now Congress and the state Senate have had to have their primaries pushed back to August. Voters are going to have to come out and vote twice in primaries, but they need to do that because that's really important. It's important uh, to be a faithful citizen. Catholics are really obligated to exercise their rights to vote um, educate themselves about the positions and vote for the candidate. You never, you might not find the perfect candidate, but to vote for the candidate that best expresses your values uh, as a Catholic through the lens of Catholic social teaching. So you have a couple of opportunities in the primaries this year, and then of course the general election in November, uh, and we're going to see a lot of changes: new districts, new lines, new members, uh, both in Congress and in our state legislature. Uh, it should be a very interesting uh, general election season on the federal level, the control of the House of Representatives and the state senator up for grabs. And uh, here in New York, you know, we're going to see uh, if the minority, uh, if the Republicans in the minority can make gains uh, or if the Democrats continue to hold their strong majority that they do. I don't think many anticipate a flip of either house, but it changes the dynamic even if uh, there are pickups. So. Overall, an in- interesting time uh, if you like to follow politics. And, and, I, and I would like to add just, you know, you thanked me, but I want to thank you because this has been a uh, tremendous, this podcast has been, a, I think, a tremendous addition to our uh, communications and, and what we do and how we talk to people. Uh, we've had some great guests. You've done some great interviews, and people should go back and listen to the back uh, episodes if they've missed them because... Uh, it's really a tremendous service, I think, to the people of the state, and you can learn a lot. Um, and I also want to thank Jillian, besides you, uh, our, the rest of our staff, uh, Jim Coltrera, who does our education, and Kristen Curran, who does our pro-life work and our other government relations work, our Catholic Charities work, uh, our office manager, Pat Ashline, our legislative assistant, Cindy Miller, um, our consultant, Kathleen Gallagher, and everyone who uh, helps the bishops to... Uh, Make their make their voices heard, and to make your voices heard in Albany. It takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Jillian. 
Thanks for listening to the Capital Compass Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. We're going to be taking a little summer hiatus. We'll be back in a few weeks. But in the meantime, if you haven't already listened to our previous episodes, I would highly recommend checking them out. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from the conference, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NYSCatholicConf and on Facebook at NYSCatholicConference. Thanks again, and God bless.